Yeah, it's so good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I am feeling this. Yeah, yeah, yeah! All of them! What are you talking yourself into? I'm trying to talk myself into that. This is what this podcast is for. We're also trying to talk you into it. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This week, it's Bruce Springsteen. Bruce! My name's Dan, and I once got into a screaming argument with coworkers over a game of Family Feud. My name is Jimmy, and I used a bidet in France and Italy. My name is Jeff, and you can put pineapple on pizza. Grow up! So, Dan, before we introduce the Bruce Bros, do we have any reviews this week? We do. We have a review from Dan's mom, Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) She's reviewing our Haunt Me Into episode. She says, five stars. Love this episode. As Daniel's mom, I feel the need to let everyone know the end of the Chucky story. Oh, man. That was such a good story. After a couple of nights of Daniel having nightmares, I had a conversation with Daniel's uncle. Well, not so much a conversation. It was more like a one-sided (laughs) scream-a-thon. I told him that the next time my son woke up with a nightmare in the middle of the night, I was going to call him and make him come over to sit with my son until he went back to sleep. <laughs> that was the end of the Chucky torment. Keep up the good work, guys. Enjoying every episode. Daniel's mom, Lynn. How did five you- star Lynn <laughs> yeah. and five star Brian. <laughs> How does it feel knowing that that review is going to be on iTunes forever? I'm fine with it. It's, it's a pretty good review. <laughs> she didn't get too embarrassing. Yeah. No. And and it's it's not the Bruce Bro uncle. It's another uncle. So yeah. when you're listening, it's not Keith. No, it's Blaine. <laughs> so this week, we're gonna switch things up a little bit. We're breaking format just a just a tiny bit. Um, usually at this time we would rant and rave about, uh, what we're talking ourselves into and, you know, get caught up on our little fun facts, but instead this is a very special episode for us. (gasps) Yeah. That's all I got. (laughs) Jeff and I are trying to talk Jimmy into Bruce Springsteen, but we can't do it on our own. No, we need backup. It's a big topic, Dan. We need backup from our two compatriots. Jeff and I have gone to the last several Bruce Springsteen concerts with my father, Five Star Brian, and my Uncle Keith, the Bruce Bros. So here with us today to talk Jimmy into Bruce Springsteen are Five Star Brian. Five Star Brian in the house. (laughs) And my Uncle Keith. Hey there. And we four are the Bruce Bros. Jimmy, are you excited? I am super excited for this. This is like an intervention. An intervention, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very important that you get into Bruce Springsteen. So first, I want to start off with, let's ask the two elder statesmen of the Bruce Bros group that we are members of, how they first got into Bruce Springsteen. And I think chronologically, it starts with my Uncle Keith. Right. So Uncle Keith, when did you first hear Bruce Springsteen? Well, I had cable radio back in the day, and we used to get WNEY from New York. I was a junior in high school. And they started playing this Bruce song called Born to Run as a single before the album came out. And I really liked it, but I didn't think much of it. And then when I went, 
when I got a little bit older, I was a senior in high school. and Which is about 1976. Yes. And one of my friends brought Born to Run the album when it finally came out to my house and I liked it. So I bought it. I listened to it all summer. And then Darkness on the Edge of Town came out. I bought that. I went to the concert and that's where it started. And at some point you introduced Bruce Springsteen to my dad, who's yes. your identical twin. So dad, when's the first time you heard Bruce? Uh, he went to a concert in 1978 when uh, um, Darkness came out and he said it was the, one of the most amazing things he ever saw. So we went uh, the next time he came to New Haven, which was still in 1978. We sat in the last row at the New Haven Coliseum. The highest and worst seats in the house, and it was hmm. one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It changed my life. So, when you guys think back, do you have a favorite? Um, do you have a favorite? Since we're both talking about live experiences, do you have a favorite live concert that you've seen? Well, I'm sure it's hard to narrow down because we I, should say you guys have probably been to. Do you have any estimates of how many shows you've been to? It's a lot. I've been to lots, close to a hundred, and. In the day, I used to have a CD of every single concert he ever played. People would record them and burn them to CDs. When I first came into your life, Keith, now <laughs> we've, we've worked together. We know each other. We're colleagues. We're acquaintances. We're family. And when I, when I first met you, it was in this room because you used to live here and your computer setup was just Bruce concerts, just shelves of CDs of live Bruce shows. Yep. And it was very impressive. And I didn't even like Bruce back then because I wasn't introduced <laughs> to him. But I was like, wow, this guy loves Bruce Springsteen. So you guys are in the close to 100 region, you would estimate. I've probably seen him 30 times. 30? Yeah. One of the best shows I ever saw was in uh, New York in Albany at Christmas time. And he did some Christmas music as only Bruce can do. Amazing. Long four-hour <laughs> show. What era was that? That would have been in the 80s. Yeah. And Keith, do you have any uh, moments that stand out to you live? Well, of course, the 1978 Darkness shows were really special. I enjoyed all of them. But I guess my favorite show was one of the first shows he did on the reunion tour. I was visiting a friend in California who we went to see him in lo at the L.A. Forum. It was great. Uh, you saw him at the L.A. Forum? That must have been cool. What are, other than live shows, because Bruce is a very notorious live performer like brian just said a four-hour show and i mean he's 70 now and like doing three-hour shows still um what are your two or both of you what are your favorite albums like what stands out as like a quintessential bruce album to you i have three favorite albums um i love darkness because i think that's his most personal and uh deeply thought out album also uh for summer you gotta have the river. It's the best summer album in the world, and the most meaningful album to me was the rising, which was basically his response to the attacks of nine um, eleven. Mm. Yeah, I agree with all those three. I would add a, another album that I really like, and that's called. Um, the, it's from the Seeger sessions. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. That's the album that actually got me into Bruce. Mm. Yeah, we should talk a little bit now. We've heard how you guys got into it, and then we should sort of transition into the second generation, which is Jeff and I. <laughs> so I grew up always hearing Bruce in the house. Um, like my dad mentioned the Christmas songs. Um, you had, 
I think Uncle Keith made you a cassette tape with a bunch of like rock and roll Christmas music. There was some Beach Boy stuff on there. So I remember that like all time. But when I started to really like learn the songs and the albums and start to see him live, the first live show I went to was the reunion tour, which for Jimmy and for people listening who aren't big fans of Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. his most notorious, like most famous stuff that made him a star was with the E Street Band. Mm-hmm. And then he did that for several years, and then he had he had years away. They sort of disbanded, and he was doing solo stuff. Um, and then I think it was around the year 2000, right? It was shortly before 9-11 that they launched the reunion tour, where mm-hmm. he got back together with the E Street Band, and they went on basically like an extended worldwide sort of greatest hits tour that was extremely like, it just changed people's viewpoints of the band. Mm. And that sort of rolled right into the rising. Okay. Like they sort of kept touring through the reunion tour. They kept extending it, sending it, and then they came out with the rising, and then that turned into the rising tour. So that's when I started seeing them live. Well, one of the most famous stories about the recording of the rising was after 9-11, Bruce was still living in New Jersey, driving around his hometown in a convertible, and people would come up to him and say, you've got to... You've got to answer this. You've got to t- tell us how we should feel. You've got to let us know what you're thinking about what happened in our country. And he wrote the album based on his um, fans begging him for it. Yeah. And so I started on the reunion tour and I've seen him. It's really hard for me to count because I have a terrible memory. But I <laughs> I put myself like right in the like 10 to 15 show range. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, um, when did you start listening to Bruce? I started, like uh, Keith said, with the Seeger Session album, because I, at that time, I wasn't really exposed to him, so I thought he was just a generic 80s rock star, and I never really got into it. And then he did this, like, revival, kind of like New Orleans-style album. With a lot of folk influences. Yeah, that I that I really liked, and um, I almost got to go see him for the first time on that tour, but I didn't, because I went to go see Dane Cook perform an HBO stand-up special <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, you don't know this story. So basically, um, my uncle was in the habit of purchasing tickets for Bruce Springsteen concerts and then trying to find better tickets because mm-hmm. as it gets closer to the concert, they would drop more. So there was a lot of times where we, he would wind up with extra tickets that he would either like give to friends or offer mm-hmm. to people. And at the Seeger Sessions tour, which is, as Jeff mentioned, Bruce playing like full new orleans horn and like folk band versions of pete seeger songs with a kick-ass band yeah he wound up with two extra tickets so that was one of my i don't think i was originally intending to go to that but my dad and my uncle had the first set and then i had a set my uncle gave me and he said invite one of your friends so i invited jeff and jeff (laughs) said sorry i can't go i have tickets to see dane cook's vicious circle in boston <laughs> yeah, that's a boo not a bruce yeah it's it's my biggest regret to this day and dan still brings it up and i hate it well because you can see bruce a lot but you can't see the seeger sessions band that, i know when that I only that happened once and so i ended up taking my friend adam who loved it but since then i think pretty much every time we've seen bruce jeff has gone yeah adam wouldn't have appreciated it as much as i do um i've seen him three times uh the first time i saw him was on wrecking ball tour i don't know what the tour was called uh, then we saw him with Tom Morello when High Hopes came out yeah. and the River tour, which he performed the entire album of the River. And I think from talking to you in the past, that's a big standout as far as your favorite concert. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great album. Nice. So we saw Bruce play the entire River album front to back and then like another whole concert worth of songs. As yeah, he that's does. awesome. And that's a double album set. Yeah, it's a it's a big boy. 
so Jimmy, what's your current level of exposure to Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band? <laughs> okay, so obviously I'm part of this family. I've been exposed to Bruce Springsteen for quite a long time. I don't think I've ever made like the huge jump. I'm a big fan of um, uh, Born to Run. I really like that album. Um, I own a bunch of them on vinyl because Dan has double dipped multiple times and he's just given me a bunch of his copies. Um, so I've never taken a huge like leap into it. I don't think I've never been to a show. I've been wanting to um, just to be part of that because I feel like if you if you've been to a Bruce show, you've been to like a cultural phenomenon. So, yeah, it's one of the few experiences that can like bring you to absolute high like joys. Yeah. And then also like low emotional introspection like tears. Yeah. Well, that's what he's a master of is affecting the mood of the audience. He makes mo- no bones about it. And the crazy part is is that he he tours arenas and coliseums. It's not intimate little venues. Like mm-hmm. he'll have tens of thousands of people. Oh yeah, just completely captivated. Oh yeah, and I'm not usually one for those kind of shows. Being a little punk rocker myself, <laughs> you know, I I like small intimate venues and where you could like you know touch the singer and people jump on you and you're mm-hmm. all sweaty together. <laughs> but like you go to a Bruce show and it's just it's like a it's almost a religious experience. It's like a revival. And yeah. he. He does what many people claim to do, which is make that big venue feel small. He'll bring you right in. Like, he'll strip everything down to just him and piano, and you feel like you're, like, on stage with him. Yeah, this doesn't feel like it's going to be very hard for you guys. Um, (laughs) I mean, just as it is, like, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Gaslight Anthem fan, and they're kind of, like, shown as, like, the next generation kind of of, a... yeah, Bruce definitely heavily influenced. Yeah. That's kind of how I got more into Bruce. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I like the revival stuff because it's it's a lot different than anything he's he's done. Um, But then Gaslight Anthem came out and mm-hmm. Dan got me into them. And he was like, oh, these guys are like Bruce Jr. And I was like, yeah. all right, let me listen to more Bruce. And yeah. that's when I really started to dive deep. And, you know, having Spotify helps because, like, everything he's done is on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Spotify. So I don't want to go, like, song by song because we decided to make a playlist um, there was some debate. The reason why we haven't done this episode earlier is because we were like, how do we show this entire mm-hmm. huge career to Jimmy in a snapshot? So we decided to make a, a playlist. And uh, Jeff and I worked on that. And then we ran it by by the other Bruce bros, Keith and Brian, and uh, just said like, hey, do you think these are quintessential songs? Do you think there's anything missing here? And um, so I don't want to go song by song. But what I did want to do is sort of just point out a couple highlights for us, like songs that mm-hmm. we felt had to be on there. So Uncle Keith, out of um, the list of songs that we chose, and I know you suggested one to add to that, um, just just name out a couple songs that you feel have to be incorporated into a playlist to convince someone to like Bruce Springsteen. Okay, well, I'm going to shy away from all the big hits because they're constantly played, so we hmm. need to hear them again. But I would say one of my favorite songs is, is um, Badlands. That's a big hit, hmm. but I... I really liked um, oh, New York Back City streets. Oh, Back Streets. Back yeah. Streets. I'm sorry. No, Back Streets. So that's the one that I knew I had to add for you before I even showed it to you. I put Back Streets on there because we've always known that that was your favorite. Yeah, there's a little uh, yard work happening here. Sorry about that. So Back Streets is like the most emotional Bruce song. Right. He's like full mm-hmm. on screaming. So I put that on there. And then the other one you asked me to add was New York City Serenade. Right. 
Well, I like New York City Serenade from his earlier work because it's kind of, it really reminds me of New York, and it's one of the few songs that has horns and strings on it. So it's just a really good epic. And I and think it, it's representative of that earlier period where he was writing these big opuses, these songs that transform emotionally from one feeling to another. Mm. And Dad, what are um, some stuff that you felt like necessities had to be on well, the playlist number one would be thunder road which i consider the second best song of the rock era yeah that's Ooh. a great song what's first imagine by john lennon oh oh overall not just bruce's rock era bruce's just... number two with thunder road okay. which i think is yeah. a fun but per- very personal song and completely in a different direction would be stolen car because i love the sadness and the fear that he pulls in the song about a Young man who's killed in a car accident. Mm. And and that's sort of a theme of, of what we've got on the pl- playlist is he's gone through way different like genre. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's covering the full spectrum. Jeff, did you have any standout tracks that you felt had to be on? Oh, had to be on there? <laughs> um, well, I, I got to give credit to Dan because he really put together this playlist and he was like, Hey, go through this, see if there's anything you want to take off or put on. And he pretty much just nailed everything. I had a, <laughs> I had a few suggestions, but it's it's so crazy because like some of these albums, there's five or six songs on, and I'm like, all right, like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but I don't know if there's like one really standout because there's a lot of songs that I want to add on here mm. that I didn't, but we're also gonna have a video playlist and I'm gonna work I'm gonna work my choices into that a little bit okay for you like Santa Claus is coming to town I think oh, it's yeah. like, like Brian just mentioned awesome. the uh <laughs> the Christmas songs that, that's not on this playlist but yeah. it is a live song and we didn't put live songs on this playlist even though there's some amazing ones like from the yeah. Madison Square Garden um reunion tour and like whole whole turn these four minute rock and roll songs into 19 minute like say laws yes it's covers live yeah. covers he's famous for them and they're awesome on any of the live there, yeah there's a lot of crazy oh, ones too he's famous for in the latter years allowing all the fans to bring poster boards and cardboards with trying to stump bruce and they'll mm-hmm. play some crazy stuff yeah, one of the things I think you'll respect, Jim, especially when you see like the live stuff, mm-hmm. is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are like legitimately the world's greatest bar band. Yeah. They're a bar band playing yeah. arenas. So as my uncle was referencing, for several tours now, you can bring a sign that says any song you can think of, <laughs> and there's a chance he will grab it. And this is not rigged. This is not a you know yeah. a magic trick. You can see him working with uh, Gary Talent, the bass player, Max Weinberg, the drummer, and they're mm-hmm. like literally like, Okay, it's in C. They're like hashing it out, and yeah. they will they will play that song, <laughs> and it's like the craziest thing you've ever seen. Yeah, they don't crazy. have to be Bruce songs, any song. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like just weird covers of obscure like 50s R and B songs and stuff. Yeah, he's done like a bunch of like weird pop songs too, right? Like of. I've, yep. I'm pretty sure I've seen him do that. When we saw him. Yeah, the big one that Dan was excited for, because every tour is different, mm-hmm. or every show on every tour is different, and like a few nights before we saw him last, he did a cover of Lord's Royals. Oh, that's And dope. it didn't sound anything like Lord's Royals, but it was also exactly the same as <laughs> Lord's Royals. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the importance of Bruce Springsteen live, but one thing we didn't talk about is, unlike most major selling touring acts hit because he has the flexibility of an amazing band they're changing that set every night mm-hmm. like so that's why we can see him multiple times on the same oh, yeah. tour and it's a completely different show yeah 
And even like from their plan before the show, things will change. There's nothing more fun and spontaneous than seeing Bruce call an audible. And you could tell it because the lights go down between songs and they stay dark a little bit too long. And if you, yeah. if you really squint and look hard, you can see the guys in the band running around to each other telling, oh, no, we're making a change. We're doing this instead. Mm. And that's like such a cool experience. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Before before we take a break, I have to ask the OG Bruce Bros one last pitch to Jimmy of why he and the audience should be talked into Bruce Springsteen. We'll start with five star Brian. Well, I think the important thing to know about Bruce, he's unlike any rock star there ever was because he writes songs per, about his personal life, how he grew up. He doesn't try to be pretentious. He's not anything he uh, doesn't try to be anything he w- never was. He writes songs for the everyman. Uh, I think that uh, if you listen to the words and the music, you'll really feel like he's talking directly to you, Jimmy. Mm. Okay. I like that. And Keith? And I think one thing that I should bring up is that he's made a lot of personal mistakes in his life and he's gone through a lot and he manages to get it into his music but not overwhelm the listener. That in addition to the fact that he loves to perform solo so he's he's not afraid to take a whole coliseum full of people and just do a solo tour mm. and it's very engaging and works out well. So I think you need to give him a good shot. All right. I like it. I want you to take a listen to the playlist that we made mm-hmm. on Spotify. How long is this playlist? Uh, it's in the... It's like an hour and a half, I think. It's okay. honestly not terrible. That's not long. too bad. It's in the 40 song region. Oh, that's actually shorter than I thought it would be. Okay. Yeah, I didn't want to overwhelm you. Yeah. Well, just wait till the live videos. Like I said, 20 <laughs> yeah, minute songs. That'll be another yeah. 40. Yeah. So, so check out the Spotify playlist. Uh, it's going to be in the show notes. Okay. And we're going to have Jeff's uh, YouTube live playlist as well. That'll be in there. Watch it, listen to it, soak it in. And when we come back, we're going to find out if the Bruce Bros were collectively able to talk Jimmy into Bruce. Eh. You know, uh, in the summer of 1966, my dad and I, we didn't. We didn't get along too well, but then, then I heard about this podcast where these guys were, they were talking to this kid about my music, and I said, Dad, Dad, there's people out there that like me, that like what I do, and he said, Son, if you just cut your hair, I'd like you too. <laughs> That's how we're doing it? <laughs> That's how we're opening up the episode? Yeah, we're the first podcast. Yeah, we were the first podcast. Yeah, in the summer of 1960s. Yeah. So, Jimmy... So, Dan, it's been two weeks. Yeah, it has been since the Bruce Bros attacked you. Yeah. And tried to get you to listen to and watch some Bruce Springsteen over four hours of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. yeah Not the that. hour that I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Jeff was like an hour and a half. And I remember thinking like that seems way shorter. That's like three Bruce songs. <laughs> and then I was like, well, Jeff seems to have his handle on these things. So I'll just go along with it. And I was like, yeah, it's about an hour and a half. And then you add in the videos. Yeah. So it was about five hours. It's about four. Four hours. Four and a half. Four and a half. So we have a lot to talk about, so we should probably just start getting into it. Let's just listen to everything on the podcast in real time. Okay. And then seven hours later, this episode will be over. (laughs) Okay, Jimmy, play Blinded by the Light. Okay. Blinded by the Light. Okay. There's going to be a lot of singing in this, folks. Just Probably. Probably a lot. A lot of humming. A lot of sax playing with our mouths. (laughs) 
We'll see. So, Jimmy. So, Dan. First track, Blinded by the Light, off Bruce's first album, Greetings from Asbury Park. Yes. So, this is a song that I obviously know because it has been covered and it is very popular. The Mansford Man cover is probably yes. what you're most familiar That's with. That's what I heard before. Very I psychedelic. Because it it's a famous song. Yeah. But yeah, I like this version a lot better. I think it, it sounds <laughs> really good. Um, That's with the, a, a trend with songs that he wrote. And then other people covered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it also makes more sense that they're wrapped up like a deuce, which is a type of car, yeah. rather than like a douche, which is what Mansford Mann sang. <laughs> yeah, I was always confused by that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's pretty good. No, it's a good song. I really liked it. Um, I've heard this version a bunch of times because you are my cousin and we've been on many road trips. You are my cousin. But lyrically, it's just nonsense, right? Oh, yeah. Like there's, sort there's of. nothing to it. It's just a lot of weird words. You can and... hear a lot of Bob Dylan influence. He's just rambling and mm. shuffling through things. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So the next track is Spirit of the Night. Oh, night. Um, it's got a it's got a pretty good groove to it. I've definitely heard this song before. It's super groovy. Yeah. But yeah. not in like the dumb way that groovy things are. No. Like the real way that groovy things should be. Yeah. It reminds me of like film noir. Like it's sort of like dark and smoky. And, mm. um, there's an awesome build up towards the end of the song. Did you notice that? We closed our eyes and said goodbye to Gypsy Angel Row. You know. Da, 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 da. Sure. <laughs> so good. Yeah. No, this song was really good. I liked it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard it before, but this is the first time I really paid attention to it. And these are the two tracks we chose off the first album. I think it covers a pretty wide range of what that album sounds like. Yeah. Um, yes. It's definitely funkier than a lot of his later stuff. Mm. They, they had a couple different musicians in the band that aren't in like the later incarnations of E Street. So yeah. when when we listen to this now, right, we can hear it and we're like, okay, this is like kind of like of that time. There's a lot of music we've heard like that. Yep. But I'm trying to place myself like if I were like 20 when that came out, mm-hmm. like how would it sound, right? Like what were their inspirations when they in, in this first era of Bruce? Because like you think about that and you're like there wasn't, well, there definitely wasn't mainstream stuff like that. It's just so like full and intricate. I was and, thinking about that a lot too. And well done. Like you, you like Dan mentioned, you, there's Bob Dylan inspiration, mm-hmm. but like it's not Bob Dylan. No. And there's a lot of like rock and jazz and like all these little things just thrown together and like. So not how, to get too like insular. Let's or whatever, get insular. We got or time. granular. <laughs> but like the behind the scenes about this album is that when Bruce auditioned for the record label, he played all these songs acoustic. He had, he had cut like an acoustic demo mm-hmm. of just like him singing, playing acoustic guitar and harmonica. And they were like, cool, we've got the next Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh, they, geez. They signed him and then he showed up with a 10 piece band. That's funny. I and was like, that. um, this is how we're doing it. And they were like, wait, what? So this came out in 73, but his second album also came out in 73. Yeah. So was let's dive like- into the wild, the innocent. Yeah. But since shuffle. you're like the Springsteen historian here, oh, even I don't know, like I try. we'll see no but like did he record them around this like the same time no i think they i think they just came out in the same year back i mean there's only recorded a lot of albums there's only like eight songs on each album or something but they're long songs yeah wild and innocent east street shuffles is a much like as far as eight songs on each album so yeah you know um so the next song is rosalita come out tonight another song i've definitely heard um it's very fun it's a good song and um, I didn't think it was a little long, but a lot of his songs are a little long. Yeah, but the live versions are like 20 minutes. Yeah, I know. We'll get there. <laughs> this is It's funny that you say that because to me, this is um, 
like the quintessential what I call like epic time period. Mm-hmm. Yes, like yes. first of all, this especially album, the New York Serenade yeah. song. Yeah, but Rosalita too is like an upbeat version of that, where yeah, the exactly. songs like go through different motifs and different like um, themes and different vibes, both lyrically and musically. Um, this one I really like, and we put it on there because it was an early hit, hit but it's also sort of like f- it's fun. It's sort of like maybe semi autobiographical. Mm. Um, but even if it's not, it's, this is the first song on this list, at least that's that really shows what a storyteller right. Bruce Springsteen oh, is. Oh yeah, because I mean, like ninety nine percent of the stuff that he sings about, he never experienced. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's just a good story, and it 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 paints a picture in your mind about like it's like those late 60s early 70s like teenage comedy movies Mm. kind of before there was really like the crazy ones in the 80s but it's just like going out having fun with girls driving cars well he wants he wants to uh be a rock star and at that time like nobody trusted that um the other thing that i wrote down is that the instrumental saxophone breakdown totally claps in this song oh yeah Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote down a lot about the saxophone playing because I really like sax sax players. Yeah. I mean, I dated one for a few we, years. But, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't re- Clarence Clemens. No. We didn't really get into like the E Street too much, all the members uh in the first segment of this. Yeah. But Dan, mm-hmm. if you want to just give like a little just a little introduction to like let's all say right. Clarence. So let's start with sax. like let's start with the two guys who are in these first couple albums that aren't in the rest. So uh David Sanctious was the original piano player mm-hmm. if i'm getting that right oh man you're messing with me here jeff i don't have it in front of me and uh <laughs> vinnie mad dog lopez was the original drummer and he was like a jazz drummer so that's why you hear like a little bit of that like jazzy funky type vibe to these early albums mm-hmm. um on born to run they switch over to what is pretty much the main e street band lineup right. which is um instead of those two you got mighty max weinberg on drums I know him from Conan O'Brien. That's the first time I was really introduced to anything Bruce yeah. from Conan mm-hmm. O'Brien when I was like early teens. Yeah, and me to, too. To replace David Sanctious is uh, the Professor Roy Bitten on piano, who's just like a nerdy guy. And then the rest of the band are guys that had been in different incarnations of Bruce Springsteen's live bands, you know, up until this point. So you've got, um, oh, killing me, Danny Federici on organ. Uh, Gary W. Talent on bass, mm-hmm. Bruce playing guitar. Initially, Bruce was the only guitar player, but after Born to Run, um, his longtime collaborator, Miami Steve Van Zant joined on guitar. Am I forgetting one? Oh, Clarence Clemens, the big man. The big man. On saxophone. And then the big man joined I'm sure we'll band. talk a little bit more about the lineup when we get to... Uh, <laughs> Tent Avenue freeze freeze out. All right, let's get to songs. Let's get to song four of forty four. We're already ten minutes in, folks. It's great. Um, So New York City Serenade. um, This was a Bruce Bro Keith recommendation. Yeah, Yeah. I was about to say um, Uncle Keith said something about how it feels like New York, and I totally agree. It really does because like the first two minutes is just piano, and it's it it is epic. It's a story. Just the piano by itself before the guitar even comes in. When the guitar comes in, it's acoustic guitar. So you have like this this rocker, and it's just like this classical piano, and it's changing moods in the first two minutes. And then I love how the guitar jazz stuff, yeah, Yeah. blues parts. It's definitely like super romantic feeling, Mm -hmm. Um, and it feels like a New York City street at night. Yes, it's really good. It is a new favorite. I would say it's really good. Pretty good. Yeah. So then we segue into like what is sort of like what I would call like the 
emergence of Bruce Springsteen era. At this point, he was like a like a local regional favorite. But mm-hmm. then with the album Born to Run, he really breaks Mainstream through. Mainstream success. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the album opener, Thunder Road. Yeah, it's an amazing album opener. Uh, I've always felt that way. Um, this is the most listened to album that I've listened to a bunch of times. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I would definitely agree with Five Star. It is definitely one of the best rock so- rock songs of all time. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. There's so much emotion that he gives that like, it, it's just crazy like that performance went into that. It's really good. I think um, the thing that jumps out to me about Thunder Road is the imagery. Mm-hmm. He's really painting a picture. Jeff talked about him becoming a storyteller. Well, now like he's really starting to... I, I had gone to a Bruce Springsteen Museum because I am that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and like one of the exhibits was showing um, rewrites and multiple drafts of his lyrics from this time period. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that his goal was to transition out of that rambling thousand word a minute dylan thing into a more concise pop music style of writing lyrics so he would literally go word by word and try to pare it down and try to express the same image and thought in as few words as possible oh that's interesting and there's still a lot of words in these songs oh yeah and it's it's interesting that you bring up that he was trying to be more pop because this song particularly stands out because like it was a bigger hit for him but there's like no real chorus and verse structure. No. And even like Thunder Road is only said like three times, four times uh, in the song. Mm-hmm. And it's like towards the end. Yeah. This one feels like the introduction to the whole album. It's like slowly building throughout the song. And he drops a Roy Orbison reference, which I'm very into. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this song, it like you said, the imagery is great. And there's like such a great. Like, a good motivation throughout the song it makes you want to go out and do something yeah it's all about um we start to launch into like one of bruce's main themes which is the great escape Mm -hmm. of adolescence oh yeah so we're born to run we got to get out of this town we got to break free and that's a recurring theme through especially this period of his career yeah yeah Yeah. and the other thing that jumps out we'll move on but the last thing i wanted to mention on this song is he, he really captures something that he's able to do in the longer songs of Wild and Innocent and E Street Shuffle, that album, it takes him like seven minutes to produce these big emotional swells and peaks and valleys. In Born to Run, he starts to be able to pare that down and deliver like these great emotional highs and lows in tighter songs, which is what I think Jeff was sort of expressing about trying to work towards bringing the storytelling element, but packing it into a pop package. Mm-hmm. So you can play it on the radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then we get to 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which is a song that I am also very familiar with, seeing as I've listened to this album a lot. Just as an aside, did you find yourself going like, oh, I know this song a lot when you listen to this playlist? Um, well, I, I mean, I've listened to Bruce for a long time, but yeah. I, I've never been a huge fan. So a lot of the songs I did know, but I wasn't surprised by it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, it's such a rocky, so groovy song. Um, I love the story about the formation of the band throughout. Yeah, this- that's mm-hmm. what it's about. But and then like. It, it gets crazy at the end. It just goes like bonkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Musically. It's so weird. It's so it. reminiscent of like early 60s R&B, like Smokey Robinson and Sam Cooke. It's mm. got such a fun vibe to it. And uh, yeah, it's about Bruce, Bad Scooter, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. And he's trying to put the band back together and he's got everything he needs, but he's missing that one special element. And then the change was made uptown and the big, big man, man joined the, the band. band. I hate that I know that. And from so. the coastline <laughs> to the city, all the little pretties raise their hands. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. Um, I love the live version. We'll get there. Um, that was so good. Yeah. Um, but then we get to Backstreet, which is probably the most emotional song that 
I've definitely heard of his. It's yeah. Emotional. Yeah. Um, it's like the moonlight of late 70s <laughs> rock and roll. Interesting that you mentioned that because a widely held fan theory that I ascribe to. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. Bruce and Terry weren't just friends. They had a little something more going on. I think it is ambiguous whether it's about like a homosexual relationship or a platonic friendship. Right. And like throughout the years, I mean, I, I did read into some of these cause like, you know, I hear, I've heard the lyrics many times, but they said like later on, uh, when he did some live performances of it, he mentioned that it was Terry was a, she, but like, mm. Mm, even if know. that's true, or even if none of this happened to him and it's fictional, it feels like, they're hiding on the back streets. There's yep. something to this relationship yeah. that was forbidden. Maybe they were from two different socioeconomic classes. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, something. But to me, the anger and the betrayal. Samson and Delilah. Feels like a scorned homosexual affair. I could definitely uh, feel that vibe from that song. But yeah, it's a great song. Um, I would definitely say it's one of his best songs. I love how he like boils over at the end and just full blown screams. And I mm-hmm. always thought that a hardcore band should do a cover of this song. Yeah, his vocal performance is really good that in this song. Good. Yeah, that'd be a proper bop. Let's do it. <laughs> so yeah, born, born to, to run. run. Um, it's definitely his biggest hit, I would say, at least in my opinion. Uh, it's got everything you want, Americana up, writing up to this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got uh, riding your hog with your girl and getting out of town. And uh, it, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, I I always look at this as like the younger, more fun brother of Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. So like Thunder Road, he's like, hey, we got to get out of here because everything sucks. Yeah. Born to Run is like, hey, we're awesome and this town sucks. Mm-hmm. So let's go do something better. <laughs> I've listened to a like he did an acoustic version. And it's like a live version of it. And I really like that version of it, too, um, where it's a lot more like solemn. And yeah, like, yeah, it's good. Uh, Jungle Land. Uh, it's definitely an amalgamation of the themes of this album. Um, in my opinion, it's okay. It's not my favorite off the album. Mm, really, it's pretty good. This, this is this like, is this is the one where like if we were just putting things on shuffle, yeah. And this was towards the top of the list. This is the one that I would use as the painting pictures, mm. like the prime example of how he does that lyrically, and it's just so dense and rich it's poetic yeah you could bore over every line kids flash guitars just like switchblades yeah and that's lyrically but like musically it's just that soft violin and the piano when it builds and builds and then there's like this crazy sexy romantic sax (laughs) solo at the end probably the greatest saxophone solo ever recorded it's very good this is like bruce this song is like bruce's opera and like a funny little aside i saw an interview with clarence clemens who was like talking about how much of a pain in the ass it can be to work with Bruce. By the way, Clarence has passed away, which is very sad. Yeah, that is sad. I remember that. But um, he was talking in particular about how he was not like a a trained musician. So I don't think he ever really read notes. But Bruce would would write the sax solos. Like Clarence didn't make those up as he went along or anything. Mm -hmm. So for this solo, like Bruce stood in the soundproof room with Clarence humming the hmm. entire solo over and over again. It took like a full day to record that solo. Mm. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I've seen some behind the scenes stuff. There was um, a documentary on HBO. Yep. About oh, the producer. What the hell? Jimmy Iovine. Yeah. And Dr. Dre. But in the early days, Jimmy Iovine, who was Bruce's producer, there was a lot of like behind the scenes footage of them recording some of these early albums. Mm-hmm. And he was a perfectionist, which is like, I guess being there is annoying, but like, He's he's the artist and it's his vision. Yeah. 
Jimmy Iovine got started as just an engineer on, right. on Born to Run. Hmm. That's cool. Um, I, I did write down that I'm not feeling it right now, but I could see it growing on me. So yeah, that's that. Um, and then we go from uh, Born to Run down to Darkness on the Edge of Town. We get to Badlands. I want to give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes info about the making of this album because it's yep. kind of an interesting story. I know some of it. But oh, you do? Uh, yeah. So Bruce was engaged with, in a lawsuit with his mm-hmm. former manager and was legally not allowed to release music for two years, I believe. Yes. Which, Three years. Which to him was like an eternity. Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff that has come out recently from this time period where they just kept writing and practicing and performing. Yeah. And then when they went in the studio to cut Darkness on the Edge of Town, they cut a ton of stuff. And just pared it down to like the best few songs. Mm-hmm. I've so, knew I've known that. Okay, um, well, for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Badlands, I definitely feel uh, obviously a, a tone shift between Born to Run and, and uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, you you can definitely feel that they've been honing on their craft for that time, mm-hmm. and we're just like just getting better and better. Um, this song feels so much more like emotional and like dark and like way less like I'm going to go on my bike and ride off into town into like, yeah, this is some depressing shit. Yeah. Like nothing we can do is going to embed our lives. Yeah. It's definitely more like beaten and downtrodden of an album. Mm-hmm. But, um, to me, you really see the progression of the honing and the tightening yes. lyrically and musically. Yeah. Well, musically it's super tight. Like yeah. the, the lead guitar is like intertwined with mm-hmm. the sax, like so beautifully it's like it's almost like one instrument it's so tight yeah i wasn't sure if it was just like the studio recording was better or they just got better as a band i'm just like they had to have gotten better as a band over the three years and i think that perfectionism that bruce is known to went crazy for three years to the point where he was nitpicking every Mm. single note every single word and that's why this album is like a razor blade like it just cuts it's like everything is perfect in this album Mm mm-hmm uh, so then we get to the promised land, which is the first song that I had to like kind of look up what the meaning was and what he was feeling about. Um, so I, I guess it was through uh, about a road trip through Nevada, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was a good. But song. But it, it can go deeper than that. Too, yeah, because yeah, yeah. there's like the actual thing about them trying to get to the promised land of California, yep. or like is it an internal thing? Like you're trying to get out of your hometown and mm-hmm. just get anywhere better or just improve bring yourself. yourself out of like a funk you're in or just better yourself. Yeah. It's like the talk me into of <laughs> he's also songs. like starting to really get into something that becomes a like we this to me is an overlap of his previous themes which are about escape and you know yeah. um teenage rebellion and things like that. And now he's starting to get into the more mature adult themes of like um, the American dream and is it worth it? Can mm-hmm. we achieve it? Um, is it, you know, is it possible to rise above your station and things like that? So there's a lot of Americana imagery in the promised yep. land, which um, plays strongly for me. Yeah, I, I like all the different interpretations of what the promised land can be and what it means and what it was meaning for him. Uh, then we get to prove it all night. Which all is night. <laughs> a definitely a song I've heard dancing on IC3 because um, yeah. I recognize the chorus. <laughs> Um, it's catchy. Yeah, no, it's super catchy. It's catchy um, little ditty. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's a good song. It's like a blue collar love song, which is what I like. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's like a two sided love song too, which yeah. he does a lot, which is great. It's not just like a lot of love songs you hear. It's either one person yearning for somebody or yep. just expressing their love for somebody or about the love they get, the love they want. But this song is just like, hey, we're both going to show each other 
what why we love each other mm-hmm. and there's like there's also this nasty little guitar solo in there it's like a yeah it's like the most punk rock thing he's done mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> but yeah i really like it. i like it it's not fanciful it's just no. like you said it's just like two people like hey we're together and let's just like let's just be this way yeah yeah no it's a good song uh ain't good enough for you and then yeah so this goes back to what dan was talking about a little bit um the promise which so darkness on the edge of town was released in 78 Mm-hmm. And The Promise was an album that was recorded in that time period that Dan was just talking about, but it wasn't released until 2010. Well, it wasn't intended to be an album initially. Right. So it's just like the, the a, comp, a compilation of the songs that they recorded. So there's not like, there's no really through themes. Yeah. Um, no. But like on this album, I mean, there's so many songs when Dan put this together, like it, it's a big list. So we're trying to be like smart, but there's a lot of songs in here I personally love. Um, just like Someday We'll Be Together. The song was played at my wedding. Mm. There was two or three songs from that album played at my wedding because there's there's such good songs in there. And to think that this was sitting on mm. a shelf for yeah. 32 this is what he cut years, out like 35 years just sitting there like, you know, he played them live and stuff. The songs weren't secrets, mm. but there was never an official release for that long. And he, he does that later on, too. And we'll talk about that. But it's crazy because ain't good enough for you, which is the, the one song that we picked um, to talk about is like. It is a good rock and roll song. It is yeah. a freaking banger. This is like the most Roy Orbison song yeah. that he has, and huh. it is great. No, it's a great song. A little inside information. This is one of the songs that we did in our cover band. Yeah. Um, and, and I it, think that um, the reason why a lot of these songs has got these songs got cut is because they're sort of towing the line halfway between the sound of the darkness mm-hmm. and what would become the river, yeah. which is a more like 50s R&B sounding like early rock and roll type album. So he was transitioning into that at this time. And I think he felt like these don't really fit in either project. Yeah. But they're still great songs. Yeah, yeah. it is. And it's like, like Jimmy said, we covered this song and it was like, I didn't play the baseline exactly. Cause like, I'm not that good, but it's Gary like one talent is an amazing bass. He's, he's just insane. And like, not even like he plays it, but he writes that shit. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I can't write that, <laughs> but it, it's, it was one of the most fun covers I've ever played. And I've played a lot of covers in different bands, different styles of music. Mm-hmm. And this one was just like the most fun yeah. I've ever had playing a cover. It's probably my favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Um, the ties that binds, which I believe is the first one on the river. Yes, um, 1980, the river. I don't know. I wasn't feeling this one. I'm sure you guys probably like it. So because you put it on the playlist, I, I'm curious what you guys think about it. You can start, Dan. Uh, to me, I like. I think it's just a catchy pop song, but I like what it stands for on the album, The River, which, as my dad, Five Star Brian, referred to as the greatest driving album of all time, which I agree, agree with. with that. Yeah, it's really good to drive to. So to me, what it's jumps out too. about the double t- yeah double album, the ties that bind is just like an early '60s pop sensibility that you hear throughout the album. Mm-hmm. Um, those jangly guitars and harmonies remind me of like this British invasion type sound. Yeah. So yeah, it's just. To me, it's quintessential for that album, and it was it was one of the more known songs on the album. And okay. then, for some reason, we didn't put anything on um, the playlist, but they also cut a lot from this album, too, mm. and they released it in 2014. I remember that, uh, yeah. The Ties That Bind, The River Collection. So it was alternate cuts of these songs, um, like Hungry Heart, we're going to get to. Originally, The River was going to be a single album. It was going to be tighter, and it was going to be all these early rock influence songs, and the album was going to be called The Ties That Bind. Yep. So, so obviously, it was a, yeah, an important Yeah, it was those, and then him. a bunch of 
songs that were also cut. So again, 34 years, these songs are sitting on the shelf and there's some good stuff. There's a lot of songs that sound a lot like Elvis Costello. Again, it doesn't fit like the theme of the river. So that's probably why they were cut. But just to think that these songs that I listened to for the last five years, very frequently, we're just not on there. There's a lot of really good. I want to be where the bands are. White lightning. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Just great, great tunes. And then we get to hungry heart, which on the, um, the original ties that bind is a different speed and different. Yeah, do you know this nerdy fact, Jim? Yes, I have heard of this. So, f- for the audience, if you don't know, they originally recorded "Hungry Heart." Um, I don't know the exact tone, like key or whatever. I think but, it was G, but they decided or it was that or it wasn't fast enough, mm-hmm. so they sped the tape up. And what had a side effect of back then it analog, changed the key yeah. yeah it brought it like a step and a half higher i believe that happened with the beatles a couple of times yeah well, some bands would do it intentionally like the beach mm-hmm. boys when they were getting all experimental yeah. like they would actually just do that and that's how mm-hmm. the song was but this is a big hit for bruce you must have known this one pretty well everybody's got a hungry Yo, yeah heart. i've heard this song a bunch of times it's really good it's a great song uh incredibly catchy uh good summer song cruising down on the highway so actually i like I didn't do much research for this episode because I know a lot of the songs, but some of the stuff I was like, you know, I, I would just want to look because I don't know what you guys are going to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Did you know? And I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly he wrote this song for Joey Ramone. Yes. Okay, oh, so it is true. Yeah. Yep. I think I've heard and that. then not just Joey Ramone, the Ramones, the Ramones were still together. Yeah. So he wrote the song for the Ramones, but then decided not to let them have it because you know um, he gave "Blinded by the Light" away. He gave fire away. He gave um, like a bunch of other songs away because the night because was the, the night big went, one. Yeah, which is like and his manager was pissed off. He's like, you keep giving away your biggest hits. Yeah, and yeah. Be, because the night was on the promise because it was never on an album because he gave it away in the studio. The and they even talked about that in that documentary that I mentioned. But yeah, and then he kept it for himself. So you can totally see lyrically this being like a Ramon song because it is like a simple pop formula. Mm, yeah. Um, It'd be cool to but, listen to. But I mean, lyrically, it. it's still mm-hmm. heavy. It's just about like this guy living the life. Like, you go to school, you graduate, you get married, you have kids, and you then die. he just decides to abandon yeah. them. And though. he just he just goes, and he just wants more, and he's yearning for more. It's yeah. it's a pretty deep song for such a poppy. If you want to talk about deep songs, oh boy, the Jimmy, river. What did Ooh. you think about the river? Well, it is the amalgamation of depression. It is such a sad. This song to me, me is the best storytelling in a Bruce yeah, song. I'd agree. Ever. It's it's a great song, but it makes me sadder than hell. There, we've all known people who've been in this situation, yeah. and the river is pretty close to a true story. It's about his, yeah, his sister, sister and her husband. Oh, I didn't I know that. I looked that up. Yeah. The uh, interesting thing is they're still together to this day. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it turned out to be a happy story, but didn't necessarily. <laughs> yep. Two young kids getting married out of wedlock. Yeah, they just did shotgun it. wedding because she was pregnant. Yep. yep, did it on the city steps mm-hmm. i got mary pregnant and man that was all she wrote <laughs> and great then song. and then uh wreck on the highway uh thanks for that because i wasn't sad enough from the last song <laughs> yeah no it was a good song both of them are just incredibly sad but they're they're good songs well wreck on the highway is is when we start to get this feels like it could be on nebraska yeah um obviously it's like a full band song but the, the storytelling and the songwriting now we're starting to get real down and dirty yeah, so I want to talk about Atlantic City and Highway Patrolmen kind of like together because they're kind of, I wouldn't say thematically, but they're, they're both of sad. a piece. Yeah. Um, these songs, two, these two songs kind of remind me of um, 
uh, the movie Nebraska because uh, it reminded me that have you guys ever seen Nebraska? Oh yeah, the movie. Um, I remember a friend asking why Nebraska was filmed in black and white, and the other friend just went because Nebraska sucks, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I feel well, about it these. It feels songs. like Nebraska is in black and white. Like, yeah, Nebraska is my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about these songs. It's like, yeah, life sucks. Like this is just shitty. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska was an album that I didn't like initially, probably because of just production issues. You know the story about how this was recorded? No. Yeah. I, I know the E Street Band didn't play on it. It's so, a solo album. So this is pretty much just demos. He, this yeah. oh, was okay. going to be an E Street album. He recorded everything acoustically, and then the label or his producer or somebody talked him into releasing the mm. acoustic album, which he recorded on a cassette. You're, you're leaving out one tiny detail. So this is the way he recorded a lot of demos to show them to the band. So he recorded them on a little four track at his home, and uh, he brought them in, showed the band, and they recorded yeah. an entire Nebraska album. Oh, I thought you yeah. had forgotten. No. Mm. So there is so in Bruce's and archives. That, that's not released yet. So this came out in 1982. So there's still a full E Street Band album of Nebraska. Yep. Somewhere. And they listen to it and they're like, we like the demos better. Hmm. So they released the demos. They just like worked on them a little bit. Like, I'm sure in, I'm sure in a gap when he's not making music I'll it'll get it released I've always wanted to hear it because it we've heard them do um, Atlantic City which is yeah, like he do, a he great a song and he does it a lot live with the full band and it's epic so City. speaking about uh, Atlantic City this is definitely my favorite song off of Nebraska I can't really name any it others. is good yeah um, but yeah this is like just another story about gambling the mob just just a good story mm-hmm the characters, it feels like Jungle Land, but the characters are older and like aren't going to have a happy ending. That's yeah. what Nebraska feels like to me. It's like yeah. they're shooting their last shot and a lot of times it's not going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. I also love Highway Patrolman because it feels like a traditional, like simple folk song musically and like the early part of the lyrics. But it, he starts to tackle like super like big issues of morality and philosophy. Yeah it's just like wrapped up in this little nice little folk song which mm-hmm. i think is pretty powerful yeah and then we have a huge tone shift with uh born in the usa which is like what his only number one album or something like that it's like the, his biggest international yeah. success and supposedly the urban legend is that the studio came to bruce springsteen and was like all right you put out nebraska which sounds like crap <laughs> and had no hits and before that you had some albums that like had some stuff but you never got a number one so you need some hits here so he was like, all right, fine. I'll just write a hit album. And he did. <laughs> yeah. Born in the USA had tons of hits on it. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like there, it's a good album. Like every song is really good. That's why there's five, there's six from this album on our list. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah, they're really good. So Jimmy, I'm sure that you and the audience have heard the song Born in the USA. What did you think about, about it? Uh, Born in the USA. I think I'm the only person in the world that doesn't like this song. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, for some reason, throughout this entire album, I can't stand the drums. They yes. sound very. I'm glad. That it's no, not just the, me. The, the production on it is like pretty bad. Yeah. Throughout. I mean, they they did remaster. I'm sure this all sounds ago. fine live. Yeah, um, it does. But I don't know. Just it's for some reason, and electronic. And... It, it feels like an '80s album. Yeah, it's very. It's dated. Yeah, it is. But the greatest thing. I mean, I think a lot of people in our audience would know this, but this came out during an election year. And Ronald mm. Reagan chose it as like 
mm. his campaign song. Mm. And Bruce was like, nah, dude, did you listen to the lyrics? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's like the most politically charged song of his saying how America is like pretty shitty. Yeah. And it's like it's got a lot of bad stuff in it that needs fixing. We and, turned our back on our veterans and stuff like yep. that. And it's also just about how Reaganomics were destroying the middle class in the 80s. And yeah. Reagan's like, I was born in the USA. <laughs> I, I like all the the lyrics and the um the storytelling in this album, but I th- I definitely do think that the production value is but like not the, there. The lyrics are so dark, and it's yeah. like the most happy song he's written up to <laughs> oh, this yeah. point. I know Jimmy hasn't heard it, but Jeff, have you heard the demo of Born in the USA that's on tracks? Yeah, and it's just like a blues song. Mm-hmm. It's just like him acoustic guitar and harmonica, and it's real dark. Mm-hmm. He's like howling and stuff. It sounds like a Nebraska song. Yeah. Uh, then we get to No Surrender. Uh, this song definitely feels to me like a Born to Run album song. Sure, yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely just fits those themes of like getting out of your town. And, but it's uh, it's much poppier. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's a great song. This too, is the song that I listen to in Born in the USA, and I go, I cannot believe that this song, this album, came after Nebraska. Yeah, I always yeah. want to feel that Nebraska came like later, like after East. Street For some reason, disbanded. I thought Nebraska was after that, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's uh, very strange. We learned more from a three-minute record than we ever learned in school. Yeah. It sounds oh, a lot boy. like a lyric that our friend Adam wrote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a song that we had <laughs> called Book of Yeah, Born. No Surrender is just like, hey, I'm going to do that thing that I used to do, but I'm just going to like make it quintessential now. Yeah. I'm just going to make it like simple and straightforward and easily like grasped. Uh, Bobby Jean, all I wrote down was more annoying drums. Oh, well, that's Jimmy. all you wrote down yeah. for the entire song. This is one of the most emotional songs in his catalog. This is my song that I had to have on the list. Like, just yeah. like my dad had one and, and uh, my uncle had one. Okay, give me your pitch. Do you know what Bobby Jean is about? Mm-mm. Bobby Jean is based on the true story of Steve, Miami Steve, leaving the band. Oh, okay. So it's the ultimate jam about estranged friendships. Um, mm. And it's incredibly- it's essentially a love song. Basically, it's friend. another- yeah. It's it's incredibly endearing to see them perform it live with Miami Steve back in the band, and oh, they sing it as a duet every single time. Yeah, um, I love it because most like cliched songs about this topic would sort of go to like, let me convince you to stay. Like yeah. that's what the song would be about. Like don't leave, stay in the band. We can work it out. We're best friends. But Bruce skips over all that, and he's got that lyric at the end: "Not to change your mind, just to say I miss you, babe. Good luck, goodbye, Bobby Jean." Mm. That's true friendship. That's yep. like true love. Yeah. He's like, hey, you got to do you, but I'm still here for you. I'll give it another listen, maybe. Oh, man. Um, but it's, yeah, I just didn't. I got to talk about this more, Jim. Okay. This is my feel. Okay. okay. <laughs> this is like the sad spiritual sequel to 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Oh, yeah. It's I like could see that. The band... And Backstreets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> the band is older and more successful, and it seems like maybe the fire's gone out. They've drifted apart a little bit. It's fitting that the band broke up after this album. That's true. That's true. It feels like they're grown, you know, they weren't like the young upstarts with the fire in their belly. Now they're like adult men with their own lives and they're drifting apart. Wish I had better drums. <laughs> what about Glory Days, Jim? Bad drums didn't like. <laughs> now Glory Days is a good song. Glory Days is the most Naugatuck song I've ever heard. And Naugatuck yep. is a town that mm. we are recording in right now and it is a town that I met Dan in. 
I wrote down, this is the feeling of running into, running into a high school friend in your 30s. It's fun, but it's also <laughs> yeah. really pathetic. But it's 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 also, to put it more in uh, perspective, Thanksgiving was a few days ago, so a lot of people are back in town, and yeah. Dan just Valley played a reunion show for one of his bands, and I went and saw a bunch of people that, like, I haven't seen in years. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Like, you're just talking about, like, oh, remember the band we were in 20 years ago? Remember how <laughs> we were doing all this stuff? And I was telling my wife stories because she didn't know a lot of the stuff. She didn't know a lot of the people there. So I introduced her to a lot of people. And it was the same thing. We're always just living <laughs> in the past. And it's yeah. just like Napoleon's uncle talking about throwing the football far, <laughs> watching <laughs> tapes. It, everybody Flew right just, over that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's the most personal song i think anybody can listen to and relate to Mm -hmm. because even if your life is going great you're still like oh yeah those were the good old days yeah there were never any good old days they are to here they are tomorrow oh Oh, thanks for that jeff it's google bordello (laughs) (laughs) uh dancing in the dark i get it it's 1984 man sounds incredibly this time this was actually a huge hit for him it was like a radio hit a dance club hit and they released music video yeah they released a 12 inch of four remixes which is (laughs) everything jimmy hates amplified yeah super electronic there's a lot of there's like a dub remix on there it's so dope basically for djs to play at clubs yeah i have it and i i listen to it a lot i love it okay it's great also this is like a darkly introspective song that's sort of packaged as a pop hit. If you listen to the words of this song, it's rough. Like, this is how you would describe depression. <laughs> it's like, when you look in the mirror and you want to change everything about yourself, it, there's a lot of, like, messed up stuff in this song. Mm. Uh, so then we get to Tougher Jimmy, Than The Rest. feel Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> okay. Please, feel it. Feel it in your heart and soul. <laughs> I'll take it and maybe I'll give it another listen. Yeah, the next album, Tunnel of Love few years later yeah not, not a popular one not an e-street band album no oh i thought it was no no born in the usa was the last one for a while i'm pretty sure wikipedia says otherwise well i'm just speaking from my heart okay um oh or is this the last one and then the other two we skip over next i will verify right. continue jimmy um yeah i i couldn't get into either of these songs um tougher than the rest and brilliant disguise I just wasn't feeling it. Uh, Brilliant Disguise kind of felt like, um, you know how you have keyboards that have preset like rhythm sections? Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. So feels he was very definitely 80s. experimenting with newer technology. I have yeah. an update for you that answers our question and comments on what you just said. According to Wikipedia, although members of the E Street Band occasionally perform on the album, Springsteen recorded most of the album himself, often with drum machines and synthesizers. <laughs> there we go. Which, at that time period, was super cutting edge. Yeah. What I think is important to know about this album and why I picked these two songs mm-hmm. is because this is the I'm falling in love with my backup singer album. This mm. is where he fell in love with Patty, and these songs, to me, are about that relationship. Yeah, it's all okay. about her, really. It's nice to know that. I didn't know that. Um, To me, Tougher Than The Rest, we'll talk about them together, but Tougher Than The Rest feels like it's an appeal to Patty that they're like little secret romance that they had going like on during the touring time period because he was married. He was mm-hmm. going through a divorce, but they were like seeing each other on tour. And I think tougher than the rest is him saying like, hey, this, you know, this hooking up that we do, maybe it's a real like thing. Maybe it's a real romance. Maybe we can try to expand it. Mm-hmm. And Brilliant Disguise to me feels like um, him coming to her as an equal. 
Mm. It's about her as an artist. Taking the masks off like this right. is who I really am. And also that she's sort of like an enigma and she didn't give all of herself away to him, like all the aspects of her personality. Yeah. I think that he likes that. I think that rather than like the woman he was married to prior, which was like his high school sweetheart, a girl from his hometown, mm-hmm. he met Patty. She was already an established musician. So yeah. to me, this is all about about her, this song. Okay. And then we almost skip the entire 1990s, <laughs> with the exception of one song, Streets of Philadelphia, which is drum machine central. Yeah. Um, but so it's the, used in a classy way, though. Yeah, this song is fine. It's an Oscar award winning song. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fine. It was made for a movie, apparently. Oh, yep. apparently, he says. You haven't seen Philadelphia? Mm-mm. Jimmy. It's an excellent movie. Have you seen the Family Guy episode that makes fun of Philadelphia? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> everything, Tom Hanks, everything this guy says is hilarious. I have AIDS. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. That's Philadelphia. That. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but no, this this is really good. It's really atmospheric. Mm-hmm. It sets a mood. It's kind of like I'm on fire, which we didn't talk about because there's too many good songs on uh, Born in the USA yeah. to talk about. Yeah. But it's, I like it. I like the, it. The lo- this really captures the loneliness and stigma of being diagnosed with HIV in that time period. Oh, yeah. He's mm. walking through the streets of a crowded city, and yet he's all alone, and he's wasting away on the streets of Philadelphia. Yeah, it's it's a good song. Watch the movie and listen to it again, Jimmy. You'll cry tears of sadness. I'm sure I will. <laughs> uh, Into the Fire, my E Street band is back. This is this yep. is off of The Rising yep. from 2002, which is Five Star Brian's uh, favorite album. Yeah. It's 9-11 the musical. So... <laughs> That's not a nice way to put it. Oh, boy. Um, it's also like a few years after the reunion tour. So like you yeah. said, Jim, it's fully street band. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of feels in this album. Yeah, this song is good. Um, Into the Fire, it, it does get a little personal for me because I am the son of a firefighter. Yeah. Um, a firefighter that went to, 9-11, or went to New York after 9-11 and First stuff. responder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really good song. I thought it was fitting that the first line of the album of the song is the sky was falling. And that Mm -hmm. is like how so many people, everybody in this area felt. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, especially in the tri-state area. I mean, in New York, it was, we can't speak for that. Yeah. But even in Connecticut, you know, 60 miles away, it was still very close to home. Yeah. And I love that thing at the end where it's, um, may your strength be our strength. May your faith give Mm -hmm. us faith. That thing. It reminds me the way he's doing it over and over again. All I could think of is a repetitive prayer. Yep. Like a like praying the rosary. It's like mm-hmm. he's making these wishes. And that's even in the rising like again. at the end mm-hmm. yep. where they're all it's like a gospel just they're singing this one prayer together. Not even a religious thing. No. Just just as it's humans an, coexisting it's together. It's an appeal to some greater power to right. heal us. Yep. Which uh, Mary's place I think is is kind of the same thing cuz the theme of this album is that he's trying to to help people heal and for such an emotional, I mean, especially months after nine 11, I remember the first time I think I remember really seeing anything with Bruce Springsteen in any sort of media was an interview we had when this album came out on MTV. Cause that was my TRL days. I would come home from school, <laughs> put on TRL. Um, and there was an interview with him and I was like, you know, I knew a couple songs, but not really anything. And he had this really deep interview and here I am a 16 year old, 17 year old kid just like, this you You're know probably like that guy's not punk rock this like 50 something <laughs> year old guy talking about this really deep stuff and i'm like wow that's that's pretty good i should probably listen to this guy um but it's this song is like it's such an upbeat song and it's kind of like him saying 
we're going to get through this. Everything's okay. Yeah. And let's heal together. I agree. It's funny that you mentioned that. And Jim, I want to get your opinion on this song, but I do want to chime in with what he has said. I think I saw in like, um, oh, there used to be that show on VH1, Storytellers, where they talk Storytellers, about yeah. the meaning behind albums or behind songs. And he says that this song is inspired by an actual wake that he went to of like a 9-11 first responder. Oh, I think I saw something. So it's sort of like that. that vibe of like an Irish funeral. Like, like you go there. And, there yeah. Like a repass. Place. Exactly. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's like after the funeral, you have a repass at like a bar or a restaurant and everyone's drinking and reminiscing and stuff. So that's what meet me at Mary's place is. So okay. like, uh, the night Pat Murphy died. Yeah. Okay. So Jim, what'd you think of this song? I think it's a great song. I, I kind of took it more as uh, Jeff kind of explained it, um, just sort of like we're going to get through this and stuff. I think it totally is that. I yeah. think it also is just adds a little bit more depth to think of it as they're not just like moving on from 9-11. They're literally moving on from a very specific loss. Yeah. No, it's a it's a great song. It, it's probably my favorite song on this album. And then the rising off of the rising. Um, it's literally about a firefighter going into a tower after a, the first plane hit yep. and rising up trying to put it out help people mm-hmm. and it, i be a hero i love that he's sort of like flashing back to other times like recent in his recent life like yeah. about like fishing and stuff like that he's carrying the line on his back and stuff yeah this is a good song it's an uplifting song that's calling that's being called the rising you know mm-hmm. um it, it's a it's a great song and I feel like it was really necessary. It was a necessary song after the attacks. I feel like he loves words with multiple meanings too, mm-hmm. because it's uplifting. It's rising. The yep. song rises in itself. Yeah, but it's also about someone rising up through a building. But it's also, if you think of it, another term for destruction of a building is like raising it. Like we raise the property. Mm. I don't know. It's just always that whole interplay and dichotomy of those words always seemed interesting to me. Yeah, so uh, My City of Ruins that I did look up, and apparently it was written before 9-11. Yes. Yeah. It's about um, revitalizing Asbury, Asbury Park. Park. Yeah. Um, Which and is then, sort of fitting that he had written the song, and it yeah. fits. It totally fits the emotion. Yeah, and it fits, and obviously it takes on a whole new meaning mm-hmm. um, about the uh, city and how it just kind of went to shit. Um, he does another like fun lyric thing in here about, with these hands, I pray for the strength. So- He's using the the imagery of his hands like you we use our hands to pray and we also use our hands to rebuild. Mm-hmm. So he's like praying for the strength to rebuild. Yeah, it's, it's a good song. Uh, Devils and Dust. Uh, this is the off the album Devils and Dust, I believe. Yep. yep. Um, this is this is an era of Springsteen. I never really got too into like I don't really know a lot of the songs off of the next several albums. It's kind of a yeah. This is like the the mid aughts. Well, yeah. I wouldn't go that far because you know we shall overcome. No, I know. I'm 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 just saying like in general. It's yeah, kind of like, like I there's a few over... downer albums. There's like three albums. Um, you know, Devils and Dust, Magic, Working on a Dream that I'm not super into. There's some good songs on there too. Like Outlaw yeah. Pete is a good one. We didn't put it on here because it's not really a quintessential. We uh, also skipped song. Bruce's first like real solo album. Oh, we skipped the '90s. Ghost of Tom yeah. Jode. Yeah. Um, which sort of feels like a spiritual predecessor to Devils and Dust. Mm. But I put this song on here because this is um, one of Bruce's most like outspoken reactions to the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And just like the way the soldier feels on the battlefield. Yeah, this is definitely a depressing song. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it's good because he's going into the perspective of of somebody who probably needs that kind of song, you know. Yeah. Um, you definitely feel some like man shit in here. Yeah, uh, it's good. Uh, how we we get to oh, yeah. 2006, we shall overcome the Seeger sessions. And this was the album I mentioned in the beginning that really got me into Bruce. Yeah, I don't know if we spoke clearly about why it's called that and what the connection is. So these yeah. are like traditional folk songs, but they're all songs that were popularized, recorded, popularized recorded by, by Pete, Pete Seeger. Seeger. Okay. So it was originally a project to honor Pete Seeger's 90th birthday, I believe. But then it sort of spun into this whole album. Right. Yeah. Um, and Dan and I off mic had a small conversation about this and I disagreed with the selection of the song or I thought we should have added more, but the playlist is so big. And I, I think this was the worst song to pick from this album to display why I like this album. And Dan's argument was that this was a song he wrote in okay. that style, in that session. How can a poor man stand such times and live? Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really dig it that much. I love I, this I would have put like any other song from the album on there because this isn't even a Pete Seeger song. And the whole point of this album was Pete Seeger, which in the videos, I threw one in there just so yeah. Yeah. we'll talk we about talked that about I asked you to include one too. Uh, so why did, why that's your whole reason? Just cause he wrote it. No, I think it's also him using traditional means and methods to express modern sentiment. Yeah. Like it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's not this a bad song. song. It's just not the song that I would have picked or it would have been a song out of a group of songs. The song is um, about um, the reaction of the federal government to Hurricane Katrina and the flood of New Orleans. Right. Because so. a lot of these songs had like New Orleans artists and did they even mm-hmm. record it in New Orleans or around there? I don't think so. They recorded it at one of Bruce's homes. Oh, okay. There's a really good documentary of the making of this that came with the deluxe edition. Which of the one CD. of the videos is from? We'll yeah. Get to that. Mm. So, Jim, what did you think of this song? I thought it was fine. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Me it and Jeff is, are talking like, so much, and Jimmy's giving us good and fine. No, but I mean, what else I, I is just he didn't have say a lot to say about it. This particular song. I thought it was okay. It's like an okay song. Uh, I think great. it's like totally expresses like the common man with his back up against the wall, literally, like the waters are closing in on him. And he has nowhere to turn to except his family and his freaking shotgun. Yeah. He's like, the idea that the federal government's going to come in. Um, he walked around, gave a little pet talk, like took some pictures, and then he walked off. Like, that's what the government did. Like, they just used it as a photo opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I didn't get that from that. Maybe I wasn't paying attention enough, but um, I thought it was fine. And moving on to the next album, Magic. We have Radio Nowhere. Yeah, this song feels a lot like the mid-2000s, um, just the way it was recorded and how it sounds. Um, but I liked it. I think this is a great rock tune. This is one yeah. of my favorite just jam-out songs. I don't know what it's about. I have no idea, but I love it. It's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> and when he played it live, I was like, hell yeah, I'm listening to it. And this. there was a big push for this album. This is the album that they performed at the Super Bowl halftime. Yep. And oh, they, okay. uh, they opened with this song. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good it, song. It's just uh, a great pop rock song that yeah. you can play on the radio. I could definitely see myself adding this to a playlist or two. I think it's funny that this is what they chose to play at the Super Bowl because to me, like Jeff said, it's just sort of like a rock song about like get, getting into it. Mainstream if song. I did have to guess what it's about or what the original inspiration was, it feels like a callback to live like bands, like being in a rock band rather than mm-hmm. like digital pop music. Right. Yeah. And they played it at the Super Bowl, which is pretty funny because it's Nine years out of ten, they have digital pop acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, working on a dream, uh, it definitely feels super relatable. And it, it's so funny because 
obviously Bruce is a multimillionaire. Um, he's not really like us anymore, hmm. but um, it, he still somehow writes for us. Oh yeah, and that, still... that's what his Broadway show was about. That was like the underlying. Yeah, theme. that's like, what I've heard. You yeah. know, he's he's in that show. He's just like you know, I'm making this up. Like you know, I started out poor, but like I have a lot of money and I'm a rock star. Mm-hmm. But he also it's he also still struggles with some of the things that we struggle with like mm-hmm. mental health issues and things like that. And um, this one I sort of put on just as a little to see if I can capture Jeff's attention because this is a Roy Orbison song, basically. Yeah. He sounds exactly like Roy Orbison. No, it is, yeah. And I it's love very, that. It's very croony. Mm. And I like when they do it live, too. It's it's a little different. Yeah. And it's like rocking. Mm-hmm. And then we get to The Wrestler, which is from another movie called The Wrestler, which was a really good movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. So this oh, one, didn't, this one didn't have any emotional. The song's okay, with me. even when it first came out. Like, I like the song. Oh, I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. like, I wrote it's skip. Fine. This one, the Golden Glo- <laughs> This one, the Golden Globe. Yeah, for best song. <laughs> well, screw me then. Uh, Wrecking Ball. Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. Yeah, this came out before that actually. Uh, it it's pretty good. Oh, this is a banger. I love this because to me. This is more like, like Dan put that How Can a Poor Man Stand song mm-hmm. from the Seeger Sessions. Mm-hmm. Wrecking Ball, the album, and especially this song, is like him using those influences and everything he learned from that to make his own This music. album, yeah. And, and this is like six, seven years later or something, I think six. And <clears throat> it does have like banjo and mandolin and successor stuff. to that, and he does it really well, and I really like it. Like Rocky Ground is a good example of that too, which isn't on this list, but... Yeah, but this song, this album, they pushed pretty hard out in the media. It's weird, like as a fan of Bruce, yeah. some songs just sort of like fall out. Like you don't even know they're coming out and they just do. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, not songs, albums, like Magic and Working on a Dream and stuff like that. They're just like, oh, here's an album. Um, and then other albums definitely get more of a push. Like he was he was doing like the late night talk show circuits. Mm-hmm. He was appearing on like Good Morning America. Yeah, I remember when this came out. And Wrecking Ball, the album feels like the album that he's reacting to like the economic crisis. Mm. It's a lot to do with like people who are down on their luck and can't make ends meet and stuff like that. There's some like real sad songs on here. Wrecking ball is kind of fun because it feels like that, but it's actually an earlier song that he wrote and released. It's about the destruction of giant stadium. Did you know that? Oh, no, Mm. I didn't know that. And it's full of football puns. Oh, talking about like, um, even in the first like section, if you got the guts misters and if you brought the balls, Mm. Footballs. Oh, I thought he just meant like. Well, he does. Guts, it's a double entendre. Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know the double entendre part. And he even says later on, he's like, uh, "Where Giants played the game, you could say take that as a metaphor." I just thought he like, was talking about New Jersey. Yes, yeah. it's where they play, and that's where he's from. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> about it's about them tearing down Giant Stadium. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Land of Hopes and Dreams. Uh, I I really love the the full band of song sound of this song yeah um obviously that's a huge uh bruce springsteen staple seeing as he has the east street band behind him and at this time the east street band is huge so yeah, when you when we I've saw heard. him on this album yeah he was touring with a full horn section this was the first tour that i saw was it yeah and a full background singing section yeah an it was, extra precaution i think we counted and there were 18 musicians on stage yeah mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, it, it's so cool because it's, it starts off acoustic and then like the, the band builds and whatever. But starting off acoustic, it makes you feel like it's just you and him. 
and yeah. then the the music kind of just kind of surrounds you guys. And this one really does feel like what Jeff was alluding to about it being a successor to the Seeger sessions, because mm-hmm. you've got all these Americana song sounds about like this train is bound for hope and glory and all this stuff, and you've got the lead melody being played on mandolin. So yeah, this one to me feels like. And Land of Hopes and Dreams was actually a song that he had been playing live for a while. And this is just like a cool, big, giant version of it that he recorded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we get into the album High Hopes, which has a story of its own. Dan, you probably know better than I do. So I don't think Bruce was really intending to put out an album, but he went on tour of Australia and um, Miami Steve Van Zandt couldn't play the tour Mm -hmm. because he was acting in a TV show. So they had Tom Morello, the famous yes. lead guitarist. Yep. Yeah, Lily Hammer was the TV show. So they had Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave fill in on lead guitar. And Bruce had such an awesome time playing like on that tour with him. Yeah. That they went into a studio right there and cut a couple like cover songs and studio versions of songs that they had done live but never recorded, recorded. in the studio and stuff. Or like the like the ghost alternate of Tom versions. Yes, yeah. alternate cut. Yep. Um from a song that was twenty years old. Mm-hmm. So yeah, American Skin. I've I've heard that this was one of the live songs that he performed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it became very relevant after um, a lot of uh, what was the George Zimmerman shooting? Yeah. Well, it was. This is a real story about like yeah. somebody with mental a uh, mental handicap. I yeah. believe getting shot by the police forty one times. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, you know, Bruce was like a, a champion for police. But then this song came out, and he's like, wait a second, but there are some bad guys. Yeah. So I'm going to call them out, and then like. That pissed a lot of people yeah, off. A lot of cops didn't like that. But I mean, like, is it a knife? Is it a gun? Is it a wallet? Th- the guy was reaching for his wallet and the police shot him 41 times. Yeah. So then when he re-records it in 2014 and puts it out when Black Lives Matter is starting, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. It's it's relevant now. And he wrote it 20 years ago. Yep. Um, It's pretty sad. Yeah. But it, it's a very emotional song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely agree. And it's it's a really good song, too. Um, the Ghost of Tom Joad. I've heard this song before. I remember when it came out because I know a little bit of Tom Morello. Morello. Um, I really like his solo in this song. Well, Rage Against the Machine covered it too on their Renegades album. Yeah. Oh, really? So I there's there's that. like a relationship between the two mm, of them. That's Renegades cool. was their last studio album. It was just a bunch of influences, like weird stuff, like from hip hop to Minor Threat to Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And Rage Against Machines version didn't sound anything like this. No, nothing yeah. like it. But I think it was definitely one of those situations where when Tom Morello like joined him on this tour, he was like, "Hey, we should do Tom Joad. I like that." And yeah, cool. And what did you think about them switching off vocals? Because that's not something common in Bruce songs. It's usually just yeah. Insane. I remember here. I remember that when I first heard it years ago when it first came out. Um, but yeah, it, it's good. I mean, Tom Morello, I, I don't think is a, a good enough singer compared to Bruce Springsteen. No. But I think he's fine, and I thought it was cool to switch it yeah, up for this cool. song. Yeah, cool, great, it was great, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it works. Very I think cool. this Very is the cool. song that Very launched. Cool. I Very think this cool. is the song that launched that whole album. Yeah, because this. I would say so because later on in the videos, the only one live I could find on YouTube was from 2009. So they did this before. Yeah, so I was gonna say mm-hmm. before he ever toured with Bruce, there was a video of them performing this song pretty much this way. Oh, really? I think it was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, was. it was some big event, and the video went viral. And then Bruce invited him to like go on tour with them and stuff. And mm. so to me, that's like sort of where this whole album spilled out of. Mm. Okay. Then we get to his most recent album from this year, Western Stars. Yeah, that came out not that long which, ago. Which um, Dan and I were kind of lukewarm on this when it came out. Um, when he released the concert movie, 
I like it a lot more. I think that yeah. the the concert version's better. Yeah, it's like with a like with an orchestra. Um, those songs aren't on this playlist. But Dan, why did you pick Western Stars, uh, the title song off of this album? I think it's the clearest example of the themes of the album, mm-hmm. which are um, the West, but not like the old West. Um, <laughs> the new West. But no, on <laughs> at, on surface value. You could take this song as being like about a cowboy who's past his prime. I'm a cowboy. Yeah. But if you really delve into the lyrics, it's about a guy who played a cowboy in TV shows and movies who's mm. past his prime. So he's literally a Western star. But oh, it, that's interesting. I didn't really get that until I saw the movie. And yeah. then I appreciated it a lot more. The whole album is just the story of this like washed up old Western TV star. Yeah. Movie star. He's basically Rick Dalton. If you've seen one yeah, yeah, time yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah, it is. And like at that's the end of thinking. the song, he's talking about how um, he once got shot by John Wayne and how that one that one shooting earned him a thousand drinks. And if you buy him a drink, he'll <laughs> tell you the story of what it was like. That's funny. I didn't. So, yeah, that. I just like that. I like this song mostly for the lyrics. Mm. Yeah, musically, I wanted to pick this over other songs. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the last song on our playlist. Sleepy Joe's Cafe. What'd you think? It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. Fine. It's really fun. And it's, yeah, uh, it's it a has, fun song. It has that Seeger Sessions, that Wrecking yeah. Ball vibe to mm-hmm. it. And for this album, it's a standout. It's like a New me. Orleans ragtime yeah. thing. Yeah. It's fun. It's just a, yeah, no, a fun it, time song. It's fun, but compared to other stuff on this album, I just thought it was fine. Uh, and then we get to the videos. We don't have to dissect all these videos because a lot of them are long. I just put uh, some of these on there. Like most of these songs we already talked about, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to show you, and Dan and I wanted to show you because half of these are his, um, the difference between the album versions and the live song, the energy he brings from throughout oh, yeah. his whole career different versions of songs um because some a couple of them aren't live but i just put them on there so you can see certain things mm-hmm. so jimmy if you just want to guide us and we'll just yeah sure jump so um go crazy yeah i'll just touch upon um the video so prove it all night um was just a live version of prove it all night uh i love the energy that i brought to it right and this is from 1978 so we're kind mm-hmm. of like I, I wrote down the dates just so you can kind of see throughout the years how much the same he is yeah it's kind of crazy too seeing him play so young because i've never seen him super young playing right. a, a live show before and it is kind of crazy that he just looks like a normal guy like he just like a dude he just grew up to be a rock star and he just kind of lucked out uh, i mean obviously he's like incredibly talented in some cool context this is the tour that my uncle and my dad first saw him on yeah that's actually crazy. not even sure about my dad my uncle saw him on this darkness on the edge of town tour yeah um, but yeah, that, that was pretty good. Uh, Rosalita, basically the same. Um, like 20 minutes long though. Uh, yeah, that Rosalita <laughs> was pretty long. It's awesome. a ripper. Yeah. Um, 10th Avenue freeze out. That was awesome. This is from 2000. This is from the tour. Yeah, the reunion tour. This is when I first started seeing So like him. whenever he performs this live, this is like the introduction to the band. Yeah. But yeah. like. It, it, it's super long and it's super like satisfying and. Um, I love how he's like just riffing and he becomes like a carnival bands. barker yeah. and 10 house revivalist. And it's, it's really fun. Yeah. It's one of those songs that like to guys like my dad and my uncle who grew up like on the albums more and like the anticipation mm-hmm. of a new album coming out. This is not one of the bigger, more important songs for them. I mean, it's, it's a pretty straightforward, like R and B song. Yeah. But I grew up like having all the stuff already out at my fingertips and like being influenced more by the shows 
Like mm-hmm. I would hear a song and then go find the album. Like when I started seeing him live. Yeah. And this is such a fun song live. Yeah. That it became an important song for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, all, I, I would say it's probably one of the more important songs for me too. And I've only listened to the albums. But yeah, that was super fun. 20 minutes long. Like literally 20 minutes long. <laughs> mm. Um, I love how he just went, come on down the river. Like that was like part of that too. And yeah, it was good. It's like a gospel song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything for waiting on a sunny day. I put this on there because this is like, to me, it's not one of the best songs on that album, but it's so fun. Like when you see it live, it's very catchy. He's like running around with the acoustic guitar and they're doing the sing-alongs and stuff. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. So I added this because like, we didn't really want to put it in the the playlist because it is live even the release version is live Mm -hmm. um and also this was at mohegan sun which is the show that we were at this is the second time i saw him on may 18th 2014 i thought that was hilarious which is my anniversary but four years oh really yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) i do think it's hilarious that they were they did this in may and it's a christmas song yeah i didn't even know i was just looking for a live version of the song i was like oh we were at that show i'm definitely putting this on here wasn't it prompted by someone holding up a sign in yes, the crowd? It was. Yeah, so yeah. that also shows you, like we talked about, who yep. just grab a song. Who knows when the last time they played that was? It could have been 10 years. Who knows? I have no idea. But Jimmy, what do you think about the song itself? Because we haven't talked about the song. Oh, yeah, the song is great. It's my favorite version of that song. It's probably one of my favorite Christmas songs it's ever. It's so Christmassy without being Christmas. Yeah. Like, you could listen to it in May, and it's great. Like, yeah. they have some bells just in the Just the tiniest bit of jingle bells yeah, put but, you in that yeah. mindset. It's it's the best Christmas song of all time. I love the older version that has Clarence Clemens doing the You oh, better no. be good for yeah. goodness sake. Um, yeah, that song is great. Uh the ghost of Tom Joad, um, the live version. It's cool seeing Tom Morello play insane. anything. So when we saw him on this tour that mm-hmm. the show we were just talking about, he oh, does... we well, we really lucked out because Oh yeah. It was the end of that tour with Tom Morello. Yeah. And it was such the end. It was like the last show of that tour. And because we're in the tri-state area, Miami Steve showed up too. Oh, really? So we had both of them. We had uh, Steve and Tom Morello. And they also toured with Nils Lofgren, who was the Mm -hmm. guitar player when Miami Steve left the band. That's awesome. It was insane, but, you know, Tom Morello is a crazy guitar player, and he does weird things with guitars, and he has such a crazy setup. And, like, the solo was just so long when he did it. And, like, he he at one point took the chord out of his guitar, held it over his head, and was just touching the jack to his hand but like mm-hmm. it didn't sound bad he was yeah, using yeah. feedback and using yeah the tools cool. at his disposal as part of the solo and he integrated it so well and it's so insane and it's cool that bruce respects tom yeah. morello because that is not anything like the type of guitar playing on oh, any yeah. of his no. other albums it is such a it's such the odd couple it's very strange i was but just it listening to it today so well yeah it definitely i was does. just listening to it today with my dad and i'm like it's mm-hmm. weird that this exists yeah. My dad's like, what do you mean? Like, you know, Tom Morello's a good musician. And I'm like, no, he really is. But it's weird that Bruce Springsteen, who is a legendary level artist, like reached into another genre of music right. and yeah. was like, hey, I like what you do. Why don't you just do an album with me? Like, that doesn't happen. I mean, the only other example I can think of is like Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. Yeah. But even that, like, works. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it totally works. Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy that we saw that tour. That's like a once in a lifetime thing. That was... Very cool. Yeah, Tom Morello has definitely come a long way since I beat him in Guitar Hero 3. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, and then, oh, Mary, don't you weep. This is from when they recorded the the seeker sessions. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that I thought it was really good. Now this is demonstrative of is that the nope correctly <laughs> representative Dem- demonstration of <laughs> um yeah of the we shall overcome album and I I love this song. It's just it's so good. The the entire album is like this and it's just so fun and just so <laughs> great. Yeah, it, it it was a super fun song. I I liked it a lot. Trading off solos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we get to the Springsteen on Broadway version of Born in the USA. Obviously a huge tone difference. Yes, which is uh, why I picked this one out of any other one on mm-hmm. Broadway, because it, he's playing his song differently. Like even Dan said, there was the version it's more of rep- It's funny because it's more representative of the actual lyrics. Yeah. Um, but yeah. This is a lot closer to the way he originally wrote the song. Right. Yeah. It's uh, super good song. Um. I really liked it a lot. Um, I like it better than the um, the album. I think version. you. I think you need the album version to respect yeah. this more, though. Like yeah, if this yeah. just came out, I'd be like, okay, this is a good song. Yeah, you'd be like, but, it's one of those folky songs. But just hearing like like electronic drums and like dance music from the '80s mm-hmm. redone 30 years later in like this emotional way. And it wasn't in this video, but if you watch the Broadway thing on Netflix, he tells a story before each song, mm-hmm. and the story he was telling was about like. You know, this guy that he knew that went to Vietnam and didn't come back. And then mm. he plays a song. And at first you don't know what song it is. And then it hits. And you're like, wow, this is. You know, it's the other thing about these lyrics. Not to like go off on too much of a tangent. But something that we don't think of as a younger generation is like that first line. Like got in. Not first line. But the uh, got in a little hometown jam thing. That was a real thing. If you got in like legal trouble. Yeah. They could offer you instead of like being sentenced when to the draft prison, was going on. Yeah, yeah. They could be like, oh, you could just join the army. And people <laughs> did that. So like, yeah, that dude didn't want to be in the military. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to end this light. You know, it's not really like a, a Bruce song, but yeah. Gaslight Anthem performing the 59 sound. Yeah. And Bruce comes out and performs with him because Jimmy's a Gaslight Anthem fan. And I thought we could just have some fun with this. <laughs> have you seen this video? Yeah, I've seen this a bunch of times. It's one of my favorite videos of all time because... <laughs> Brian Fallon just looked so happy and like so elated to be playing with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. Because um, he's yeah. like a couple years older than me and he's Bruce. Well, like Bruce also did a song with Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Like of my heart. He's done Bouncing Souls as well. Yeah. So it's Souls. weird. He has like this, this, you know, he's still in touch figure. with younger music. Well, he mm-hmm. is. The yeah, rumor is, is that he knows Gaslight Anthem through his kids, though, which is kind of funny. <laughs> that is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's a super good song. It It's one of my favorite Gaslight Anthem songs and. This live version is so good. Um, is this the one from the tour in England? Yes. Mm. So there's also videos floating around of Brian Fallon coming out during Bruce's set. And oh, he, really? He does No Surrender. Oh, I didn't oh. know that. That's cool. Which is pretty epic. I did like not know that. that. Oh, yeah. Look it up, bros. <laughs> yeah, right. that's great. Dan, I will let you do the honor. I mean, first we got to ask, Jimmy, overall thoughts. Do you have any overall opinions, things that may have changed for you since before to now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I definitely, uh, it's kind of funny because the first time I saw this playlist, I was like, oh shit, this is a lot. Yeah, of you music. text us like one and a half hours, he says, <laughs> three hours and 42, whatever it is. It's yeah. Very funny. Um, I, I was definitely very daunted by this. Um, I wanted to come onto the show and be like, hey, this was a lot. I really wish you pared it down to like 20 songs. But afterwards, I'm kind of glad that you didn't. Um, I think you could have cut a couple things, but overall it was, I don't, I think we could have added stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, Jim. Yeah. Overall, I think you guys did a pretty good job of, of showing the best of the best. Um, you guys being the Bruce bros. Yeah. All four bros. Yeah. Yeah. All four bros. Um, 
overall thoughts, I definitely feel, um, uh, Dan, you've always described it as um, when you listen to the boss, you listen to like, you're listening for getting like those feels of being like a man and like you're going through some real man shit. Yeah. And I definitely feel that, especially with the earlier stuff, um, a lot of the uh, getting out of your hometown and um, getting, getting your girl, but then you get like darkness on the edge of town where you're starting to feel like the reality of it and yeah. how you're sort of like going through that kind of Yeah, now mindset. you're out in Nebraska with your girl and you're starting to fight <laughs> and you have no one around who you even know. Yeah. So um, it... I would say that's changed a lot because you've always given you've given me Bruce Springsteen just randomly throughout the years. Like you gave me um, Darkness on the Edge of Town. I think the first album you played for me might have been Darkness on the Edge of Town. Like, what is this? Like this. If I if I wasn't given um, Greetings from Asbury Park first, um, I would see I would probably and like progressing as Bruce progressed through his music. I think I would have been probably talking to this earlier, but. The way that I was kind of exposed to him, just kind of like, this is a lot. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all this. And it's always been super daunting to me. Um, but yeah, I think the the ways that you guys um, prepared this and like gave this to me, I think you guys did a pretty good job. So I'll let you guys ask the question. Jeff. Dan. I want to go every other word with you. Okay, let's do this. Jimmy. Did. We. The. Bruce. Bros. Talk you into Bruce Springsteen. Bruce. Bruce. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, baby. I'm going to take that as a resounding yes. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Definitely. Let's hear. Let's hear. Let's hear. What's the goods? What's the bads? Um, there's definitely some songs that I, I feel that I have to um, maybe not do research on, but probably take a deeper dive into yeah. um, listening to it, um, listening to it in different ways throughout an album instead of a playlist and getting the general feels of the eras and stuff. Um, but yeah, all the songs are just amazing um, for the you got, most part. You got to get into the live stuff too, like mm-hmm. live at the Hammersmith is Odeon, yeah. an awesome album from the late mm. 70s um it, it's great but yeah i mean it's yeah so one of the reasons why <laughs> jeff and i and and my dad and my uncle wanted to make the playlist so encompassing is so you could feel that progression mm-hmm. because now what i would encourage you to do is sort of hone in on like what era you like the best i and think i already was, know that but so what's it going to be what's your first full album you're going to listen to um, first full album I'll probably listen to might be Darkness. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then after you listen to that, you should watch the first episode of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2003 <laughs> Darkness series on called Darkness on the Edge of I Town. I do that. Jeff, out of curiosity, what's the first full album that you really honed in on and was like, listen to every track? To? Other than the Seeger Sessions? Yeah. Well, well, no, that's an answer. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is a Seeger session. I bought you that on vinyl. You did for my birthday a few years ago. It's Aww. fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I mean, other than that, like if we're talking about Bruce songs, I would say it was Darkness on the Edge of Town because it's, it's like going from what i was into at the time you know just like this punk rock hardcore kid mm-hmm. that album is punk af dude yeah. yeah it's so good he even says that he was heavily influenced by yeah. um it the ramones it, and the clash heavy it's melodic it's brutal it rips your heart out even it in the is, title track which we couldn't fit on here yeah he's like when that snare drum kicks in blah what if she wants to see me yeah it's really good but i mean it's so hard because like 
the river is such a good album too. that's gonna be my next deep but dive that's that's oh. you can get into that this summer roll your windows down put <laughs> the river on yeah and just drive yeah I, I mean like i said in the first half of this i have every album from asbury park to i think nebraska i think is the last album that i have yeah um, so dan yes does this officially mean that the bruce oh. bros grow from four to five well jeff we can't we can't go there yet <laughs> it's the start Jimmy's okay. in apprentice mode right now. Right. So he has to go to a concert. We have to see because as okay. we know on this podcast, it's very easy to say, yes, you talked me into something. <laughs> I'm not criticizing Jimmy. I'm guilty of it. Jeff's guilty of it. We're all guilty It's of very it. easy to say like, oh, I like this thing and then never do well, that thing again. Because some of the things like movies or books, like, yeah, Animal Farm's good, but I'm not going to read it for another 10 yeah, years. But I, also will say, like, yeah. I will say music has been the most thing that I have done Because it's easy. This. You can just yeah. put it on and- right. Do whatever. But I think he's well on his way. I think if we start hearing yeah. Jimmy talking about listening to Bruce and stuff like that, maybe there's a tour coming up and Jimmy would like to see the boss live. Mm, maybe. Mm. Then we can talk about Bruce Bro membership. <laughs> wow. This was such a big episode. Yeah, this is currently an hour and 20 minutes. Just discussion. Oh, that's that's not long enough. <laughs> we need longer. We need to beat the weird owl length. Well, um, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, so Jimmy, what are you going to talk us into next week? <laughs> so this is um, this is such a small topic. Some, something as emotionally <laughs> yeah. invested in like something that your wife. No, is we need a little around. chill out episode. Oh, okay. Let's, oh yeah. Let's sure. chill out. So I want to talk you guys into a comic that um, I think Dan had a little bit of exposure to because he kind of talked me into it, kind of unintentionally because he was talking about it on a previous podcast. Um, but it's previously a comic- on podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a comic book called Happy by Grant Morrison and uh, Tron- Derek, Derek Robertson. I, yeah, Derek Robertson. He, he didn't finish his sentence. Oh, I thought he was looking for the answer. No, no, no he no. said drawn, and then you cut him off. Yeah, very rudely, sir. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> nope. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna be trying to talk uh, these guys into Dan finishing Happy and having Jeff read Happy for the first I time. I've not read it. Um, so it's a comic book. It's easily accessible. You can find it at your local comic book shop. You can find it on Amazon.com. Who put that out? Is that Image? Uh, yeah. Yes, Image. Okay. Uh, just had to look it up. But basically, just the uh, quick synopsis is what? It's four issues, right? Oh, yes. It is four issues. Um, quick synopsis is about a kind of a crooked cop that has to go on um, reluctantly going on a manhunt for a little girl that her little um, imaginary friend is making her go on comics are crazy yeah it's, it's a pretty goofy story uh very is it a very goofy movie <laughs> no or is it a goofy sequel is, yeah extremely goofy movie um on disney plus yes it is um just a uh forewarning i think we might have to put a um just a uh a warning in the beginning of the next episode but it is a very graphic comic book uh don't read it if you're under 12 <laughs> under <Okay>. 12 <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're under 12 don't Read yeah, happy. All you babies out there, <laughs> all of our twelve-year-old. Also, probably, there's like an eight-year-old right now that's super into the boss. <laughs> yeah. Also, probably don't um watch the television show Happy because that's a little risque as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Read the comic if you are of age and you like that kind of thing, and if you want to listen to their next album, and if you feel so inclined. Jimmy, where can they find us online? Oh, they, they can find being us. the audience. They being, being the every audience. Person in the over eight-year-olds. Yeah. Over eight. <laughs> If or you're, 12 yeah uh you can find us uh talk me into on twitter at talk me into at talk me into thank you very much uh facebook you can find us uh on talk me into you can go to our website talk me 
And if you really, 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 really like us, you can find us on Patreon.com. Support your boys. Give us some money. We'll give you some stuff in return. There's some stuff that you will get in return. Yeah. Um, but personally, you can also find me at Son of a Fitch, S-O-N-N-A-V-A-F-I-T-C-H, where I'll be tweeting about my journey through the boss's uh, anthology. Ooh, and, ooh. You, you have to do it now. Yeah, I'm going to. People are going to listen to every it. single Bruce Springsteen song and live tweet it. Oh, damn. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I had to write so many notes for this episode. Hmm. Um, but anyway, it's Dan. A lot where- of goods and fines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter under the name Danny underscore breakdown. My stage name. My nom de plomb. <laughs> Jeff, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at J-E-F-F-F-F-F-27. That's Jeff with five Fs, the number 27. Or on Instagram at large, Hard on Collider, where I post pictures of food that I make and other things. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? Bruce. I already did that. Oh. Yeah. Hold on. Is this thing going to whimper and rattle the whole time? <laughs> no, you lived with her for a year. She's silent. She's she like was a just cat. rattling and she went, mm, mm, mm. No, that was me. Her collar jingles a little, but she'll go upstairs eventually. Penny, go lay down. Go lay down. Yeah, see? She listens really good. Okay. Well, now we're going to have a B-roll for when this one goes. Let's go. You're shitty, you know that?